Sorry, my, my earphone's dropping. Welcome to Feather and Mountain Podcast, Season 2, Episode 3. I realize I haven't actually introduced what this podcast is before, so I'm going to put that at the beginning. This is a podcast all about the Wheel of Time on Amazon Prime uh, from a new slash never reader perspective and a veteran reader. However, we are taking a brief detour into Middle Earth and we are now examining the Rings of Power on Amazon Prime through the lens of myself, a never Tolkien reader and a veteran who is my father and co-host, Graham Confusion. Graham, how you doing? I'm doing uh, really good, and I don't know if people can pick this up, but we're actually sitting in the same room this time, so this is kind of cool. I made the trip west, and you know, it's not you the Grey Havens. Into the west. I sailed into the west. <laughs> I have made it after a few days of travels, and away we go. And I will say, uh, for clarity for all the listeners, by room, he means my closet. We're currently sitting in front of my corporate wardrobe, which has not been worn in... Ooh, approximately nine months. So does this mean when we're done, I get to come out of the closet? <laughs> I believe that is what it means, yes. Indeed. <laughs> Perhaps not cishet white male any longer. Mm. <laughs> never, lo- never too late to learn something new. <laughs> uh, so for those of you new to the podcast, I'm Delusions of Grendel. I am a veteran reader of Wheel of Time, but a never reader of Tolkien and... Uh, This week, we are diving into episode four of The Rings of Power, The Great Wave. Um, So as my my dad, Graham, just alluded to or spoke to very directly, he arrived west, uh, drove across Canada, um, took about five days to get here, and hadn't seen the episode when it dropped on Thursday late night, I guess. Really bad hotel uh, Wi-Fi, so I didn't even bother trying. I waited to watch it in glorious 4K. Weird that Kenora didn't have great Wi-Fi, but arrived. So we've seen the episode now a couple of times together. We've watched it with subtitles. We've picked up some fun things. Um, Yeah, and we get to record here together for the first time. So hopefully the audio is okay. Fingers crossed there aren't too many quirks as we record together. What I have noticed as I've been editing these episodes is the number of times I say like is too damn high Hmm. along with, you know, (laughs) (laughs) so I am going to try very hard, dear listeners, to control the inner valley girl, I guess, within me. And restrain the likes and you knows, because maybe you don't know, and maybe we're about to educate you, or based on my theories, especially surrounding Iran Deer, uh, no, it shits out to the wind. Like, I've, I've got nothing. <laughs> Suck at predictions. Um, so before we dive into the episode and attack the the three plots, because I will say there's three plots and subplots within those those main three. Overall impressions of episode four, The Great Wave. What do you feel on Graham? Um, I'm liking the way they are starting to expand the footprint of the story. So I've, I've been reading lots of people are like, oh my gosh, it's so slow. It's not moving very fast. You're reading that. You're now you're getting the feedback. That was in Twitter. I've I've been on Twitter for many years. I'm still not, you know, diving into that crazy world of discord, not doing it. Sorry. Anyway, uh, it's like people, they're laying the foundation. You have to understand where you're coming from to understand where you're going to go to. So they've been doing a very careful job of creating a foundation lore in the first two, letting you get to know the characters. And now they're going to start to move. And I think it's actually going to start moving pretty quickly. Uh, I think we saw a lot from Adar. I think we uh, see the evilness in humans coming out. I think that we are seeing the foresight of Elrond and the uh, selfishness and the fear of losing control of the dwarves. I just think so many great themes are running through it, not to mention the might and grandeur of Galadriel. I think she's incredible. I like what they're doing with the Queen Regent. 
as well. That's that's obviously a made-up character for the show, but uh, I like what they've done with her. She's uh, was managing from fear saw a sign and changed her mind but we'll get back into that as we as we go down that path but I, I generally like it and of course the beauty the grandeur the uh the the dark and the light there's been one thing that's been puzzling you so all of you Tolkien fans if you remember Lorien Lothlorien in um uh, the two towers, or I guess it's in Fellowship, and when they get there, it's all in autumn colors because it's starting to fade from Earth. I, it does puzzle me why a lot of the elven places in uh, the Rings of Power are already at that stage. It seems way too early for like me. Like Linden? But where yes. El- okay. Yes, like Linden is in its fall colors, and it, that has bothered me since uh, the first episode. I know we didn't see it today, but when we snuck a peek at the preview reel for episode five, I noticed it again, and I, I, I just thought it would be too early. I thought it would be in full summer mode now. That was one of those things that I did. I thought Peter Jackson, by the way, did an awesome job of the coloring in uh, the Lord of the Rings movies. And I picked up... None, None of, of that. that. No, yeah. yeah. Um, the people are pretty. People are pretty. Uh, the places are pretty. Oh, spectacular. S- Numenor just blows me away every time they turn a corner. And uh, like, for me, it's Casa Doom. Um, beautiful. The words sometimes are really pretty. Uh, the rhymes are fun. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm I'm not sure I can away. repeat the uh, door knocking. Well, that's why I had to write it down. <laughs> so as we're watching the episode, there's just a lot of pause. Pause. Make sure I can write everything down so we can talk about it later um so yes in this episode we missed your girl nori no no harfoots no harfoots um maybe some of them have been left behind and we'll we'll pick up on that next week well we we know that they'll show up next week because (laughs) i think all all plot lines will be in next week's thing obviously uh galadriel and um the mean queen, Mike, and I think of her name off the top of my Muriel. head. Muriel. and troops from the Numenor, the Numenorean, will be heading to Middle Earth, which is very cool. Uh, Adar is going to start moving in on the Southland men, so we're going to get a conflict coming up, but that might take a couple of episodes to get to. So, uh, and and we're going to see, I believe, the Starman. There was an interesting quote at the end of the show that alluded to a star in the sky, which obviously was uh, the Starman, the Stranger. Uh, coming to Earth. So that tipped me off that maybe the Sauron prediction is accurate, but that's just me. See, and I I thought that the opposite because of the way it was phrased, but we'll get into that. So our three points, um, of course, are Galadriel, Arondir, and Elrond. Three elves. Three elves. Um, Galadriel's viewpoint, or I, I should say, the viewpoint that we open with is not Galadriel's, but it's part of her plot. We actually open with who I formally termed Queen Mean, right? But I shall now term Queen Supreme because <laughs> my girl turned it around this episode. We hope she. I was like the. I mean, the acting is unbelievable, but also the way she handled herself, the tears in her eyes during that scene with her father was. I don't. It really struck a chord in me. Um, how she took control of her fear. We'll get into all of that. But basically, this episode opened and closed with not Galadriel, but the Queen Regent's, Muriel's perspective. We open with the prophecy of the Great Wave, and then we close with her choosing to try to not defeat that prophecy, but choose a different path. Perhaps pull a shell Silverstein, choose the road less traveled, uh, a different branch, and hopefully avoid that great wave um so i think maybe even though it is what it opens and closes with maybe we can leave galabadass and queen supreme to the end to talk about because they're they're a little bit there's a lot in there to unpack with the seal door and iran uh uh, elendil was quiet this episode but uh you know you can start to see that there is some majesty to him for sure yeah do you want to talk arondir first or do you want to talk elrond uh, a Rondir would be good because it probably, it had the most exciting action, I guess, but it had the, the shortest plot, okay. basically. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so once again, uh, I was so, so very wrong about a Rondir <laughs> and where his plot was going. Um, I think it is best if I never speak <laughs> about... Still no ends. <laughs> no ends. And you know what? He, quote unquote, escaped... 
Well, he was let go. So Adar let him go. <laughs> yes. Well, but we, it wasn't I thought he was going to be. Nine. And it wasn't episode seven, which I said. But I didn't realize Adar would let him go to send the message. So he's not afraid of him, which is interesting. So Adar, being an elf, I guess, is not afraid of elves or elf warriors or what he's going to do by potentially bringing more elves if he sounds the alarm. Uh, and he passed on the message from Adar. Uh, and, you know, so it was let, let free to go. Although he still had to fight his way out with the, with Theo and, and yes. Bronwyn, but like, not all the orcs know what's going on. I can clearly see that. I mean, it's very obvious. So basically, Arondir's plot, uh, just to bring you up to date, we do open with an unblurring. Matt Hatch, if you're listening, who knows if you are, I'm sure that got you right hyped. The great unblurring of Adar, uh, which means father in Elvish, which yes. we learned in episode three and then became more clear in episode four. But we uh, have the great unblurring. Half of Adar's face appears to be burnt. I was going to say burnt. There's it definitely burnt some fire in there, which is curious. But we have Adar's face. He speaks to Arondir in the Elvish tongue, Quenya, Quenya, which yes. we learned tonight means that they're the outcast elves of Middle Earth. Right, they are the ones that came and stayed in Middle Earth a long, a long time ago, as opposed to the other Elvish language, which is spoke spoken in Valnor. Yeah. So I, I've been reading Tolkien for um, in my early sixties uh, since I've been twelve. I never knew that Tolkien created different lines of Elvish. I should have known that Tolkien created different lines of Elvish, but um, I, I did not know. So that was an interesting learning to me. And I thought they did a great job because we were watching some of it with subtitles and we we're like, Kayan? The heck is Kayan? And then we, we looked it up. And yeah. thanks to the wonderful wikis of Middle Earth, we were able to figure it out what it was. We got it. We got it. And so Arondir and Adar, father, whatever you want to call him, have this great tete-a-tete they talk about things oh we have that although he wouldn't answer adar would not answer who he was or what he is but he has been to but uh, he's not a god he is not a god yet yet. (laughs) that's a great line uh beleriand is where the area of elvishness is i'm gonna call it the belgariad and pretend that piers anthony is involved in all of this (laughs) sorry that was my fault too (laughs) but a great series uh if you haven't read uh, the belgarian uh, anyway, that is a very ancient Elvish area, and the fact that both um, Adar and uh, Arondir come from the same spot, or at least Adar has experience in that spot. That he's been down to the opening of the river, I think is how he termed it. Yes, uh, is is very thing. So Adar has a deep history, obviously, and, and has been around, as most elves have, for a long time. So um, I think it's safe to say, I think it's safe to say that he is not Sauron, because Sauron's not an elf. He's many things I understand, but not enough because we don't actually know what he is. I went back and I was trying to read through. Maybe I have it. Maybe other Middle Earth people have found it and they know exactly what he is. But I, 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 I'd always pictured him as a wizard who went bad, but uh, I don't think Gandalf ever referred to him as one of their own. So I'm not sure what Sauron is of, of race, of type, whatever, but he obviously has Meyer power. is what Gandalf is, right? Like that's the wizard. Yes, that's the original yeah. wizards, yes. I don't think that's what he is either. I don't think so. Um, no, it's, it's, it's very fascinating hearing Adar speak and knowing that he's elvish. And here, you know what, I will pull in a little bit of Wheel of Time. Um, I'm not going to speak, hopefully, in too much spoilers. There is a character that is met in Eye of the World, the book, not the TV show. So if you want to avoid book spoilers, uh, earmuff for about 30 seconds. So in um, the Wheel of Time, there is a... I call them chosen. Um, people who are not friends of the dark may refer to them as forsaken. Agnor the creator. Mm, I remember that. Yes. So he uh, dies in Eye of the World. Um, but he created the Trollocs during the Age of Legends. Right. And so Adar reminds me a lot of Agnor in that regard because the orcs call him father. You look at the orcs' ears. Like they're clearly elvish and they're calling this evil elf dad. Like in my mind, he takes the role of the mad scientist who's help who's creating these orcs. And he lays down the thing that's saying, 
you haven't been told all of it. And we're yeah. all getting that in our own truths now, right? Like if you look back at how uh, the different wars have been taught to us over school years in my generation and your God, generations. Colonialism. Yes, exactly. Uh, we, we've, it's very evident that we've been given it through a certain filter. For us, obviously, it's the white male dominating, you know, English imperialism, etc. In this case, he's, in, he's implying it's the Valnorians who have in, invoked this... Um, one side of history is, and that's what Arondir has been wrote, uh, brought up with, but Adar is implying that there's other truths that he doesn't know. All that, that being said, Adar is clearly after that uh, blood sword, I'll call it, yes. that uh, Theo is playing with and obviously Waldreg has uh, very familiar with. So Right. And so, yeah, let's, let's talk about kind of the subplots of, of the Arondir-Adar plot, because that was something, the more I watched episode four, the greater appreciation I had for episode three, because I think there's a lot of laying the foundation in episode three. And when you watch them back to back, I actually really like, I really like episode three now. It's it's just, it's laying the story, right? Yeah. It's not The Hobbit, but if you actually read the foreword in the Fellowship of the Ring, it lays the foundation so you can understand what hobbits are and it helps you appreciate more why they always stay to themselves, which is which is good. But yeah, it just kind of set the tone. It, it, it uh, created more sense of of history, I guess is probably the thing that as we go forward that you'll go look back on. And your friend, Mr. Yip, uh, also, as yes. you said, directed three and four in Wheel of Time and also has done three and four in uh, Rings of Power. That's pretty heavy uh, responsibility to young Mr. Daniel. Daniel? Uh, Wayne Yip. Wayne Yip. Wayne Yip. So yeah, with episode three, one thing I missed the first kind of couple go-arounds actually was the reference to the hilt that Theo found in Waldrag's cellar. So it was kind of a, a one-off, I guess, in passing about, you know, we're even yesterday with my mom, we're talking about like, again, why are they building a trench? They're talking about things. They're talking about searching for things within the villages, how they're still trying to find something in the villages. They're hunting. They're, that's why they're digging tunnels. That's why they're taking the time to dig tunnels and sneak around in these villages it's not because they have to it's because they're searching for something in episode four we figure out what they are searching for i kind of figured it out when when uh, theo stuck it in his arm in episode three and i went oh i guess that's a thing of power well that's important but that's... I, I just didn't connect that yeah. like they were searching for it that's what the tunnels were for like we knew it was important but like i didn't connect everything and it was really nice with this epi episode to see that connection also it was really nice to have a comeback of Vrath who we knew previously from uh, dragging Arondir in episode 3 uh, Vrath and Lurka the two orcs at the beginning dragging Arondir in to, to um, uh, through the trench to start digging so Vrath is back back again Vrath is back to kill some men uh, <laughs> and Vrath finds Theo in the home when Theo goes back for grain so Theo right. and I don't know what his shitbag friend is called oh, what a twerp Craven Raven or whatever um, they go into town after Bronwyn's like well I don't know maybe two rabbits will feed 500 people that's how math works and also nutrition and Theo says, actually, mom, I'm a pop into town real quick. Hope that's fine. And she says, don't you dare. I'll beat your ass, but like, help me. And Theo says, Rowan, his friend's name is Rowan. Uh, I'm just going to call him shitbag. Rowan, AKA shitbag. Okay. Um, so Rowan and Theo go into town. They actually do get some veggies from Waldrag's cellar. Theo wants to grab a bag of grain, I guess, or like make some oatmeal or something. He's very into keto. Who's to say? <laughs> so <laughs> That's he goes, right. I saw no olives, <laughs> but yes. <laughs> Big fan of the keto. So he goes in, grabs some grain. And, of course, that's when the cloud goes away. Craven Raven, shitbag, uh, runs back to the watchtower. Theo encounters Vrath. We have this, um, actually, I thought it was really fun, sequence of Theo hiding in the well. And Vrath 
banging the bucket down and then like searching for him. I don't know. I thought it was, again, that campy humor that just hits me in the right way. I really enjoyed it. Um, the hide and seek nature and the back and forth between Theo and the orcs. It was, I felt the tension. Yeah, it was good. It felt high stakes and it felt also fun at the same time. I like the little tip to uh, Peter Jackson when the orc licked his blade in the same mm-hmm. way that they did in the uh, original set of movies. So I thought that was kind of cute. Yeah, little nod. And then we get Aron Deer saving Theo uh, after the confrontation where the blade grows quite long when Theo and Vrath are... I am just not... Uh going to go with that. Yes, it's a full-size blade. I don't know. I don't understand the blood thing yet. Obviously, blood creates power, etc. But it's uh, an evil power, obviously, because it's smoke. If it it had beautiful white flames and halos, it would be good power. (laughs) But it comes out with, you know, dark, dark, hot flames and black smoke. So obviously, it's bad power. It's bad Bad power. Bad power. Ooh. Uh, so, you know, Theo and Arondir running through the woods and who turns up but Bronwyn and also yay, because I wasn't sure when she was coming back. So yay for Bronwyn in episode four. Uh, they run through the woods uh, serendipitously as soon as they exit the woods, the sun comes out. Great little, you know, mm-hmm. head to head scene with the orcs. Beautiful cinematography in that scene too. Stunning. Just oh my beautiful. gosh. Uh, and then they make it back to the watchtower and that's when... Um, you know, eventually more towards the end of the episode. But eventually we finally get the message that Adar had given to Arondir to release because I guess he doesn't think Arondir is a threat. And the message that Arondir is supposed to deliver is, your people may live if you forsake all claims to these lands and swear fealty to him, Bronwyn asks. And if we refuse... And Arondir says, he's coming for Ostirith. So what I took from that is Adar freed Arondir because what is one elf going to do? And he's giving these mortal men a chance to swear fealty, which seems kind of shitty because like who would do that? But then, of course, right after we see this conversation, we see Waldrag speak with Theo and basically be like, have you met him? Have you met or have you heard of Sauron, the master? Because Waldrag's family has been like Team Sauron, Sauron, I should be saying, Sauron, for generations, which is why he has the hilt. And he's all like, fuck yeah, he's the master. Let's go, boys. I've been waiting for this day. We saw the fire in the sky, or what do you call it? The star star in the sky. The star fall in the sky. So let's go to your theory on that. I, you know, vented my earlier, and you just went, you do not know. Yeah, so what he said (laughs) was, and this is why I think that the stranger being Sauron is a red herring. And I think they're deliberately trying to set that up. But what he said was star, the starfall means his time is near. And what I took from that is his time is near, but it doesn't mean that he is the starfall. True. It's just like, this could come to pass. So in my mind, I'm still like team Gandalf, (laughs) but I think that actually the starfall, the stranger is, the opposition so you know how everything like if we're speaking in binaries Mm -hmm. there's an evil there's for every for every good there is a dark yes and so i think the starfall means his time is near but i think the starfall is what is going to save humankind from the demise in this one Hmm. that's i I still can't believe it's gandalf because not that i never heard of gandalf losing track of what things are going on. He's good with fire. Uh, Gandalf does carry eventually the ring of fire. He doesn't have it yet, but, um, the fireflies died. The, that's not Gandalf. Yeah, I know. And it's not, it's not Sauron either. Sauron is already in Middle Earth doing his wizardy things as the lead of their, um, order on Middle Earth. Yeah. It could be completely new character, although it seems too important to not reference something else. Um, what I still like about the theory of Starman or the Stranger being Sauron is, I have, I've always pronounced it Sauron, by the way, because he was Saur, I guess. <laughs> anyway, uh, Saur, Sauron <laughs> is that uh, he, he doesn't have enemies. that They don't 
not everybody knows Sauron. Uh, he's been gone for a while. It's been a while since Morgoth has uh, was was uh, you know struck down. So Sauron had to go into hiding. At some point, the, the character Sauron has to get the elves and dwarves and men on his side. So that that this stranger has no anything yet. So he has the capability of through his naivete to do it, but. Uh, uh, it can't be just an act, right? But anyway, so uh, yeah, maybe not so much the Sauron thing, but I don't know what he is. But then I don't know that Sauron is there yet. May not he may not have arrived. Yeah, it just it just means his time is near, whatever that means. So that's kind of where we leave. Arondir. Lots of prophecies. This lots of prophecies. Lots of prophecies. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got Arondir, Bronwyn, Theo. Honestly, my overarching th- thoughts on this plot. I'm re- I really hate Theo. I want to like him. He's young. Like, he's innocent. He doesn't know. He's he's going to get swayed by the dark side, but he will is. he be able to fight it off? Is he a Luke Skywalker who's just gone too far, or is he Anakin? I don't know. Right? I'm just like, I'm not rooting for him. I don't, uh, I'm rooting for Bronwyn. Bronwyn, for sure, will always but. be good. And it's going to be interesting because, obviously, Adar is going to come and go to that, that town and wants to take it over, but he doesn't know that Galadriel and uh, Muriel and the Numenorians are coming. But they're coming. So it will be a uh, surprise, but that may take a couple that of could, episodes. That could be an episode eight. Yeah. Um, the one thing I think about Theo, just kind of as we go through these episodes and Bronwyn, I, I do think that Theo's father probably had an evilness to him. Could well be. I, I genuinely think it's just because of this this darkness that feels like it's warring in Theo. And I think that they might, because we don't know who his dad is, and they're right. setting up this mystery of, like, who's his dad? He's just been raised by his mom. And well, I and it think could, there be could be because Aaron, there. Because Aaron Deer's dark skin maybe get people to think, oh, well, look at Dave, Dave Canoodles. Aaron Deer's obviously his father. No way. We've been over this before. They aren't <laughs> going to cross that boundary. It's not Aaron Deer. No, no. And even like the, anyway, the relationship. I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious where they're going with that. And I do think we will find out who Theo's father is. Waldrag seems to know a thing or two. Um, and I The evilness of humanity and the greed and, you know, seeking power. That's obviously what Waldrag's going to be, uh, be representing. And I'm sure there's a good underlying current of those type of folks. And you could see it in Numenor too about people who don't want to, you know, don't yeah. want the elves and, you know, get them, get, be them gone. I don't know that everybody knows about the prophecy. I don't think that uh, Miriel shared that with everybody because it would scare the bejeebers out of them. Uh, and we understand about the reference about the elf, but it was easy for Farazon to uh, play up to the, those fears and try to keep people on his side. But that's the next, that's the yeah. last one we'll get back Sneaky to. Sneaky bugger. We'll, we'll get back to him. Indeed. Um, so moving on from Arondir, we've got, honestly, what I, I still think is, I really have fun with Elrond and Disa and Durin. Great exchange when they when Disa asks um, Elrond how the two of them met, and he starts <laughs> relaying the story. And oh, then, there's the the fourth, then there's Durin the fourth. Then there's Durin keeping saying, "And I was fighting him off." Two. <laughs> You were screaming. It was a battle cry. <laughs> Things like that. I thought it was hilarious. It was a great repartee back and forth between the two. Yeah. Sorry, that was episode four. I, yeah, in was, my head, I was like episode three because we watched them back to back. But it was no, sort of was, their. Was it was sort of their farewell to yes, the episode, yes. but it was hilarious. It was and very it was, sweet. It, it did remind you of, of Gimli and Legolas, it, if you go back to that comparison. Just, you know, um, it, also Elrond showing him his friendship which was excellent. Yeah. I had a bow. You had a sword. It was <laughs> a, a bow. bow. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, their plot, there was so much here that I really, man, I could spend forever just talking about how much I loved this entire plot. We open really with Elrond and Celebrimbor talking and Celebrimbor is like, hey, by the way, your boy's ghosting me and it's a little bit weird. Uh, you Do you know what the fuck's going on? Yeah. And Elrond, the next scene we see is him and Disa. And Disa's like dealing with kids, making dinner. Like, girl is up to her ears in work because Durin is fucking around somewhere working. And we keep hearing these kids in the background, like their kids, you know, chanting, Rich crone, kiss the stone, polish your gems in gold. And Disa is like, Would you quit that knocking song? 
quit it. And I don't, we don't really understand the significance of the knocking song in that moment. I didn't understand it the first time through either. Mm -mm. But Elrond picks it up because, you know, he's questioning Disa, like, if Durin's mining, then why is his hammer that he takes with him? Why is that here? And also, why are you making his favorite dinner? Like, if he, if this is a place that takes two days to scale, like, just to go down, why are you making his favorite dinner for tonight? Disa, God, like, love her. She can spin a tail like nothing. So she, you know, creates this fabrication. Then we see her and Durin talking together on a bridge in Casa Doom. They're chuckling over her ingenuity. Elrond sees this with his little elvish sight. He confronts Durin when he find, goes to the old miners. Uh, shaft? I can't remember. The old mine shaft. The old mine shaft. He goes there. He recollects the knocking song does that little ditty that he heard the kids singing which i loved does the little knock in time the shaft opens he's there Durin confronts him there's this really cute scene they swear on a stone together uh graham's prediction that it was Durin's bane mithril yes I felt very vindicated by that, yes. (laughs) That was validated. And I learned that mithril means gray glitter. That, God, like the the dwarvish tongue is not very glamorous for sure, right? No. (laughs) They call things, uh, they call a spade a fucking shovel, basically. They, uh, they, it just goes out there. So that was, that was great. But I did like the way they had Elrond go, no, it would be. Yeah, not mithril. Mithril. Yes. Um, then, you know, we find the miners, uh, we get a dirge from Disa, like her voice. Oh my gosh. To me, to me, that's my rose of the episode is her singing. Oh yeah. Oh oh my gosh. It floored me. I also love the way they, they showed the rocks mending at the end of the chant, which I thought was really cool. That was very cleverly done. It wasn't just the the dust of the rock shaking was the, the rock actually moving and getting tighter so that there'd be fewer of those quakes. But I also liked the whole thing with the earthquake. So it's the old mine shaft. They've discovered a vein of mithril. And if you, everybody will remember Gandalf's line, they delved too deep. So they've started to delve too deep. This mithril stuff's cool, but these veins run really deep. No Balrogs yet, but uh, they will be... Uh, going to get it and they obviously get it because otherwise how would you get the coat that that Frodo gets from from Bilbo Uh, anyway uh, that little setup and foreshadowing I thought was nicely done too I do also need I I put this in here in my notes and I just you know when when he's doing the knocking song do you know what he's doing knock knock knocking on Duran's door (laughs) (laughs) that was a stretch Good stretch. <laughs> uh, so the miners are all safe. Um, Duran and Elrond are really good. Then we have this really great conversation about fathers and sons. Really beautiful moment with Elrond talking to Duran and just being like, if I had another moment with my dad, I would take it. And I, I'm with him on that. I lost my dad at a very young age. And uh, just as I was growing to appreciate him, I was all 26 years old when my dad died. And uh, my dad was coming close to retirement. Uh, and just, you know, I'm a young father at that time. And he's a grandfather. And you're getting used to the thing that 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 exchange touched me quite, quite uh, deeply, actually, it was uh, well done. And I can, I can tell you, it's uh, very true. If you would have the chance to have that conversation especially as you grow older and you don't care if you have uh, disappointed him or not uh, same with mother and son or father daughter etc you just want to have the chance to ask them and just have that conversation feel the dreams had all that stuff in it too but uh, <laughs> anyway yeah that was that was very good it was really nice very and then nice. we get to see that conversation play out uh, and I genuinely thought that Durin the Third was dead <laughs> when he walks in, and Durin the Third, like the King King Durin, doesn't turn around, and then we see this like old ass white dwarf just like staring, and I'm like, oh, that dude is so 
dead. And then he wasn't. <laughs> no, <laughs> I turned... knew he wasn't dead. No, no. <laughs> it turned into Not like... like the the king in Numenor. No. But, but uh, <laughs> uh, for those people who have watched Ozark, uh, that actor that plays uh, Durin's father, Durin the Third. Uh, was also, I'm just getting, trying to get his character name in uh, Ozark, uh, Jacob Snell. So uh, he's the guy that owned the um, opium farm with uh, his wife. So if you, if that good job on the makeup. I could hear his voice and it's like, I know who this is. I know who this is. I know who this is. Uh, but, um, oh my gosh, that's right. Yeah. Anyway, uh, and my, as I was doing that quick reading, I discovered my favorite actor's name of all time. The guy who plays Prince Durin, the fourth, his actor's name is Owain Arthur. I think that's awesome. What a great name. Good pick, Owain. <laughs> <laughs> just because, just because. You know. Talking to a couple King Arthur nerds here. Indeed. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, then we have a great moment with Durin and Durin, and they're both kind of like, mm, you know what? Elves are up to something. They, There's something more here. I think they know more than they're letting on. This is not just about a favor to help build a tower. This is about something else. And I, I think... Trust your instincts. Yeah. Is what we leave, like, what does your intuition say? And I, I think if you watch the previews to episode five, uh, you see that Lord Celebrimbor may have had insight into this mm-hmm. already. That's why he's evil elf. That's, that goes back to your evil elf Fucking thing. evil elf. So Celebrimbor is being a little bit calculating, yes. perhaps. How disappointing. Shocking. Shocking, evil elf. But man, the guy's good with a smith. He's such a good. <laughs> well, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. I don't know yet. Um, so that kind of wraps it up for Elrond. Just very, not that it was light because there was some heavy stuff that went on, but it's just, it's so fun. Like the, I will say the chemistry that Disa and Durin and Elrond, all three, all three of them bring to the screen every time they're on together, mm-hmm. be it Disa and Elrond, Elrond and Durin, Disa and Durin. It is so enjoyable. I will say um, a lot of the chatter, I had been just seeing the world of Twitter over the couple of days before I was able to watch the episode. And uh, the general uh, comment from those that follow Tolkien is that a lot of people think that this portrayal of Elrond is far truer to the Tolkien version than the Jackson movies. And uh, although I love the actor who did Elrond, uh, that they did, who seemed a little grumpy. Baggins. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, now that obviously is a much older Elrond at that point in time, and uh, he's seen some shit. He's seen some shit, so uh, you can understand him being a little sour. But the the vision, the um, they did, they do allude to his being able to see. I mean, they made it very hard. Like I can read the lips across the the Casadum uh, Canyon, but. Uh, Elrond always is supposed to have that the gift of sight, and what they actually mean is prophecy and foresight. Uh, he he alludes to it with his father, which I thought was cool. Uh, so that it, they're just doing that, and he, he is he's learning. He, they've dropped the politician side of him a little bit a little for bit now. We'll right see now. that when he goes back with the elves, I'm sure. But uh, his sense of uh, wonder and uh, friendship are, are great and his uh, tie with the dwarves is genuine and it's really nice to see and i i didn't appreciate that obviously until i watched the episode what the folks were talking about and i i, I agree it is very much more as i would have seen a young elrond than uh, the way that was portrayed in the movies a bit yeah no i'm i'm enjoying him a lot more than my first impression of him even from the first episode but i think yeah. i was coming at it with the jaded lens of knowing him only from the Jackson movies and I wasn't like a super fan of Elrond so it's really nice to see this refreshing perspective where he is eager and fun and ha- also has like a cheeky sense of humor which is yes like one way to you know find your way into my heart just like a little little wink wink nudge nudge and he's right there Similar to Legolas. And then they've also done a good job about uh, the greed. Again, we'll go back to that line that Gandalf mm-hmm. says, the greed of the the dwarves, and they dug too deep and they unearthed things that they shouldn't have. Um, you can see that they are very protective of this mithril because they know they got something special. They aren't ready to share it yet, uh, even though Elrond asks, why don't you share it and celebrate it? 
they're obviously not ready because they want to make sure they can control it before yeah. it goes out into the yeah. world. So they well, want to own it. At least that's what Duran... Oh, crap. At least... <laughs> <laughs> let me try saying this again without sound. At least that is what Duran the Third wants. Duran the Fourth seems to be very keen to dig deeper now and he is pushing against the restrictions a little bit that have been imposed by his dad he doesn't fully understand why they're not you know putting all their resources into this why they're not trying to export it why they're not trying to bring bigger attention to this and Duran the third is you know very yoda in his like <laughs> caution we don't know yet. stuff is playing out here that we're not aware of but uh Yes. Good, good portrayal of the dwarves though. Yeah. Um, all right. So with that, we come back to, to Numenor. Numenor. Oh my gosh. So much going on in this. Uh, Galadriel is wearing makeup. Um, <laughs> there was a great uh, scene uh, where the actress said, described that she helped the, the makeup people come up with her hair and there's actually bronze and silver and gold in her, she's naturally blonde. Actually, I think she's a brunette, but the, but they came up with this multi-layered of these shimmering colors in her hair so that it would look even more regal and magical. Uh, I thought it was cool and she was one of the creators of it, so... Next time she's on screen, just look at her and you'll see different shades of uh, gold as well as some silver that run through her hair very gently, of course, but it's it's kind of cool. I like that. Yeah, like she was on full display. I, I love that we are watching, and we knew this was going to happen, but I love that we are seeing this fiery, passionate, impulsive Galadriel on her journey to become the Galadriel that we see in Fellowship. Although we see the signs, right? So once uh, she has the chat with Halbrand. Yeah. That tricky, sneaky Halbrand. But he's showing his political savvy, get, coaching her to do stuff because she doesn't understand the human psyche. I understand that. That makes sense. She adapts quickly. But you can also see the sincerity, right? So yes. when she sees the ill king... She changes her tone. She starts to understand Muriel better. And then there's a bonding. She actually says, please. Yeah, there's a bonding of two great women, which I think is outstanding that they're, they're making yeah. the story it that way. It was a great women supporting women movement mm -hmm. uh, moment. So with, with this plot, basically, we've got, again, we open with Queen, who I will now call Supreme. Her <laughs> vision, she, you know, she's in the hall. She's conducting a meeting. She's holding a baby. She sees the great wave coming. Before the great wave comes, there's all these white petals drifting from the tree. The tears of the Valar, we later learn in the episode, is a sign. Then the great wave comes, killing. She wakes up. We realize that's the prophecy that was alluded to at the end of the last episode. And within the plot of, you know, Galadriel basically beseeching the queen to send her back to Middle-earth with an army, we have the subplots of Isildur and his journey to get kicked off the boat with his Nicely buddies. Nicely done. How, how obvious can he be? Right? Like, bro, get kicked off the boat. And then we also have uh, his sister. Erin. Who, I won't, again, it's Aaron and Kevin. <laughs> sitting in a Kiwin and Adian. <laughs> Kemen? Kemen is his name, Kemen. who is Kemen. like Farazon's son. Yes. But like he is such a Kevin. It's not bad. Like and as I said, uh, one one uh, dude or dudette Sorry, uh, had, had uh, created a meme with the four worst haircuts in uh, the Rings of Power and he was in there along with a few others, but uh I, I I thought for sure that that that's some bad hair. That is, Kevin. it's not good. Um, yeah, I'm just like this is this is Kevin to me. Like, just <laughs> he's a bro. Kevin would swipe. He would pay unlimited for Tinder every month so that he could get like unlimited swipes. He would not Although, say no to anything. I'm surprised how fast Edian is being swooned. I, I thought she was a stronger girl. Have some standards. Ugh, and they've already you know had what? dinner together. We've all, like we've all had a Kevin. <laughs> uh, I'm not blaming you. It's not your fault. I don't know. You've got a beautiful mind, and he's paying attention to you. I get it. 
do better, but I get it. That's right. And his dad, slimy. Uh, slimy. Slimy. This was a Not great, satisfying. Th- no. Opposite of a bug from The Lion King. This was a great episode for Farazan. I am oh, really yeah. watching him. Be- like, I'm enjoying. See, there I am with my legs again. I am enjoying him. I'm enjoying watching him become evil. Or sorry, he's already well, evil. I'm watching I'm enjoying He's a man after the power descent. and he's trying to he's trying to usurp power, I actually believe, from the queen. Yes. Uh, so he's he's coming across as her strategic advisor, but he's trying Chancellor. to become the the friend of all the people and he's trying to get them on side. So he's gonna to try to lead a rebellion of Numenor. And all all Tolkien people know that Numenor is it goes away in the second age that uh, there is the collapse of Numenor. I'm not sure that it, it's as open as a big wave crashing into it. There's got to be a lot more than that. But the because the people of Numenor are basically gone, other than a few, Aragorn, uh, and and other descendants. So maybe Ferrazon is the start of that decline. Here's how you know he's sketchy from a Star Wars fan's perspective. He's a chancellor. What was Palpatine before he became an emperor? He was chancellor. Chancellor. Basically, chancellors, evil fucks. <laughs> and that is just science. Follow follow the actor on um, on Twitter. He's he's so proud of his role and oh. he loves it and he he's sharing it and he's actually reaching out to the uh, the Tolkienites out there and 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 just saying, you know, you know, I think you're going to really like it. I did my best to make them the best type of character I could. It's uh, it's very good. I'll find his uh, Twitter handle shortly, and yeah. I'll, I'll share I mean, it because I, he's, uh, he's I'll, awesome. I'll put that in the description. Uh, I am enjoying him, like the glad handing. Yes. On like the, one of that scene where he comes in, and you know Tamar is out there like screaming about like elf lover, elf lover, and then fucking Kevin goes and he's like. Dad, there's <laughs> Dad. Things are happening, and then Chancellor Palpatine is like, "Ah, oh, shit! I better go address this situation." As he's, you know, stroking the guild crests, he has every single guild crash crest on his satchel, like he's a goddamn, I don't know, Boy Scout. Yes, Tristan Gravel, and it's at Tristan Gravel is the thing, but we'll put that in the notes, yeah. and he. Just loves his role as Farazan. Loves he's, it. Yeah, he's celebrating it, which I think is awesome. I mean, he's fun. I'm fun, but yeah, like him, like <laughs> even just like stroking his sash, like he's yeah. you all know, those like, little circles, man. He had love. like the guild crest. Like he's just like he's a Cub Scout, and he's like collecting his badge ribbons for like lighting a campfire, or roasting a marshmallow, or whatever the fuck you get a badge for. He's got them all. Right. He's like Ash Ketchum. He's got to catch them all, and he already did. And so, you know, he goes out into the square and he's like, Tamar, buddy, my people, like, (laughs) pump the brakes. Let's, like, unwind, drinks on me. Everyone have a glass of this fine-ass wine that I'm trying to think of, like, a nice region. He's basically, like, actually bringing champagne from Champagne, France. Right. Like, Bordeaux from Bordeaux. (laughs) Like, he's like... Pouring them like this nice bottle, With special grapes that also just conveniently people had on hand. Coincidence? <laughs> no idea how and it they happened. Just like walk around with their trays, like boy, we got you. Anyway, walk around the common people. Farazon's there. His name is being chanted. Like his motives could not be more obvious. And I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry to the Americans that I'm about to make this reference. Apologies in advance. It looked like a fucking mega rally. And I was like, this is insane. I get, like, we've seen how it can happen. It's- Although he almost <laughs> calmed it down, though. He, like, he, yes. he, his message was, there was an, obviously a, a, a bad undertone. So he wasn't over the top. He was a more sophisticated mega person. Sorry, folks, but Sorry. spade, fucking shovel. And, and he calmed them down, but he didn't change the direction of the message. He just made them listen to it in a, just a more underhanded kind of way. And applaud him. And applaud me. Yes, you're welcome. I'm the best yes. guy in the room. Um, that was a fun little 
side quest that we went on um, throughout this episode, the underlying tension and layers, and also, you know, the queen's real fear, because we, we learn, of course, that the previous king, the queen's father, so Muriel's dad, Tar Palantir, Tar Palantir was deposed because he supported the elves. And throughout the episode, we learn the reason he supported the elves is because he touched the Palantir, saw the prophecy, realized it was because, based on the petals falling from the tree, that they had forsaken the Valar and that they really needed to make amends and, you know, to rekindle their relationship with the elves so that this great wave didn't come and destroy the entire island. No one else had this vision. No one else wanted to be an elf lover. King was deposed. Muriel was elected to reign as regent in his stead. And that's why she is afraid to listen to Galadriel when Galadriel gets a little bit of a lesson from Hallbrand about how to turn your opponent's fear into a weapon that you can wield and a means of controlling them. Because if you can give them a a way of conquering their fear, then you have the ability to control them effectively is what Hallbrand is telling Galadriel right? Uh, in a very fun and snarky and kind of way, but that's why he's Sauron. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's or the just Witch showing... King, man. Everyone's like team Witch King for, for Hallbrand. I'm still going to... I don't think he's the full Witch King. I think he's the king under the mountain. Yeah. Okay. So you're, you're, you're full on undead king. It, well, he is a king. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I think king he's the, the undead. undead. Yeah. And yeah. I think, because I think he'll break his vow. That's. Okay. He, we can see his sliminess. Because I've so seen a one. lot of like people really loving the Witch King. Yeah. King I think undead. that's too high. And I, like I said, I, I think with the Witch King, you could actually go find his name and it's not Hallbrand. Okay. Uh, so, unless, well, like like, unless you said it's not his real name. Because yeah. he even says, like, you know, when they're in the dungeons, he's like, or not the dungeons, when he's talking to Tamar in episode three and he's like, also, by the way, Tamar, also one of the four I worst haircuts, oh, for sure. terrible. Yeah. Tamar. Do better. <laughs> oh, sir. Some of the memes are awesome. That was one of my yeah. favorite. So uh, we get a great scene with speaking of fear and all of this stuff and, and kind of bringing it back to the woman supporting woman movement. Galadriel is, frees herself, badass, puts all the guards in the jail, Farazhan, Hellbrand says to him, like, she's not really escaping if you know where she's going. Right. So put the sword away. <laughs> like, you're not going to do anything. Um, just, you know, sound the alert. Galadriel goes to the tower where the king is. Queen Muriel is waiting for her there. We have a really great moment between them where I think we see, I'm going to call it the humanity, but I think that's actually because it's an elf and a Numenori. Perhaps not the right word. <laughs> um, I will call it the goodness in their soul. Yes. And it's a goodness of souls meeting where Galadriel says, I didn't know about her ailing father. And the queen says, few know about his declining health. And Galadriel asks her to please tell her why she won't grant her like this boon and send people to Middle Earth. And it is fear-based and it's totally in that. And the queen you know, effectively tells Galadriel, if this were my choice, I would be there with you. But like, look what happened to my dad. Look at what he, look at what has happened to him. Great line about a thread is not something to hang a kingdom on, which I thought was really, really well done. So you can't, obviously she doesn't want Numenor to think on the hope uh, of a thread, which I thought was a great line. Uh, But it also showed her fear and she was afraid of creating it. But the tree turned her around yeah so nice. the tree at the end um again the symbolism i just i'm like big fan of poetry really liked how they did that in this episode i don't know maybe i love was... how the uh the palace with the one tree is the same design that's in uh minus tirith in the, the the lord of the rings obviously they they did it and uh minus tirith was supposed to represent or was supposed to resemble the the palace of the kings yes. but there was only the single tree in uh, Minas Tirith, and of course, it was quite sick the first time you saw it. Until our friend Aragorn, oh, sorry, spoilers, uh, comes back to uh, put things to rights. But yes, the symbolism of the white tree is very good and very strong, and that they're using it wonderfully so far to me, anyway. Yeah, and I didn't realize that thing about the tears of Valar either—that they are, you know, 
it's it's meant to represent basically like a wake-up call and I I liked that the queen could then take that moment where she knew the people would understand and she could turn that and say you know what I was wrong clearly I was told this is symbolism that everyone on this island understands and we're going to look for volunteers and of course a sealer um well his two buddies were the first to volunteer, which I love. Yep. Uh, Isildur is like, yeah, I guess, fuck, I'll redeem myself. Well, if they're going to do it, I guess I'm going like, to do it. Jeez, need to, need to become friends with someone else somehow. Yeah. Um, we didn't really talk about him, but he's not overly important. I don't know. He's brooding. What what did they say Isildur does? <laughs> His friend had a great, like, it's basically like Isildur. He drinks and he broods. But talks, <laughs> keep whining about his mother, who's de- his long dead mother who's gone to the West. Oh, come on, Isildur. Get over it. Move yeah. on. Uh, so Isildur volunteers and then a bunch of other people. So it's going to be fun, uh, I think, where we're going. And I think you were right because I said that they were going to leave Numenor at the end of this episode. And you said, I think it's going to be another one because they have to, you know, Farazhan needs to lay his plot. We need to get some stuff going. Uh, the preview to episode five looks like we're going to have some really fun sword training with Galadriel, who's <laughs> wielding double swords. Like, what? Well, she's good, right? She's, she's good. She's, she's a warrior. They've shown her as the warrior. She's one of the great elves, according to Tolkien, and they're doing a great job of showing her strength. So yes. she is powerful. A little impatient, yep. but in elven terms, she's still young. Uh, you know, a couple thousand years old, I guess, at this time. A child. A child, just a babe. Um, so, uh, yeah, they're showing great power with Galadriel, who I think would be fair to say at this stage is the strongest character, the most powerful character in the uh, in the show so far, and good honor. We all know that she's uh, very important as it go- as the story goes on, and she's one of the few who was able to turn down the ring. Her and Gandalf. That's right. And Frodo, until the very end. Until the end. And Sam. There's very few people that say no to the ring. So she is one. So that just, that inner strength is always with her. And we saw some great resolve and then change and understanding and some growth in Galadriel in this episode. Yeah. It was fabulous. Yeah. And I've, I haven't seen a lot of comments, mostly because I try to ignore people who don't agree with me. Mm. Um, it's a very Family healthy, trait. It's a very healthy way to live. But I've seen a few comments talking about how people are frustrated with Galadriel and like they don't understand and like this, there's, she's not this ethereal queen and like all of this stuff. No, and she's not a queen yet. She's still I a know, warrior. But they're she's really a... like struggling to identify with this like young impatient woman. And I'm like, I'm sorry, have you never been a hot headed like 17 year old woman growing up in a world that's like dominated by men and you don't understand and you're just trying to like make some fucking like carve your fucking own legacy in this world and make it better for the next generation? Has that not been your life? I would say more in that 25 to 30 category. Just when <laughs> okay. she's getting herself, you know, she understands what her capabilities are and she's quite confident what she can less, do. And less it's like, high school, more first job. <laughs> and, you know, stop the world I want to get off. It's really important, although she got off the boat instead of getting off the world. Thank goodness. I don't know what would have happened with the stories if she hadn't got off that boat. But That's so episode one. A thousand years ago. Yes. Indeed. All right. Well, there goes the earplug again. <laughs> I have funny ears. Anyway. It's also very tiny for my wee ears. All right. Well, that kind of wraps up our overview of the three plots. Biggest, let you know what, let's just do jump into Rose and Thorn of the episode for you. I, I, I agree with you 100%. My rose was when Disa was doing her chant and the power of her voice and the majesty that she commanded and the just the aura that came off. That was that was my uh, my favorite part. Uh, Thorn, um, no, I, I would say in terms of the Thorn this time, it wasn't so much that there was a goofy part of the episode, it was like last time with you know, yeah, this stupid. No, uh, Sonic Burrows finally got his name down. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, I, it was just the evil twist of uh, Waldrek at the end, and not only knowing but waiting and wanting Sauron to come back. So it wasn't that it. I mean, I liked that part because it creates intrigue, but it's like, ah, oh, come on, Waldrek. After all this great stuff Bronwyn's doing, you're going to be the twit that's going to create the mess and you're going to start, you know, fighting against and trying to bring Sauron back. Uh, I just didn't like it, but it was well done. I didn't have, I didn't find any lore disappointments or 
poorly executed scenes in this episode. I just thought it was pretty clean from start to finish. And it was fast. It was a fast hour and 11 minutes. It was really well done. Longer than episode three, but felt so Mm -hmm. short. The pacing was so much better this episode. Lots of back and forth transitions, not spending too long with one plot and then leaving it, you know, to languish. Really like snappy and fun almost the whole way through. And not those dramatic ends to every scene. I think they were doing better with that. Like it wasn't yes. like every scene didn't have to have the highest stakes. Exactly. They were okay to let it Much linger. more like a, a more steady storytelling, which is good. I guess there's more story to tell now. And the other thing at the end of the episode, who's now not waiting for Thursday? Like everybody wants to see that next episode now. If, if you're not intrigued by what the way the plot lines left over and then if you didn't have a quick peek at what's going to happen next episode, I'd be very surprised. But just waiting for Thursday night to get to that next episode because it is starting to move. And now, just like all Tolkien stories, once the snowball starts to roll, uh, it picks up speed and then it, 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 the, the tension and the excitement go. Okay, season two, the first few, they probably have a big wind up in episode one to, you know, everybody feel good. And it's going to slow down for a couple again, but then it'll pick up just Calm, people, calm. Not everything is the last scene from, you know, Star Wars. Like, everything will build up again. But anyway, I'm really happy with the way it's gone. It's a it's a very good show. Yeah. No, I'm enjoying it a ton. I had so much fun this episode. My biggest question now, and I genuinely, I need to stop making predictions about a deer because I cannot <laughs> be more wrong. Everyone else, like, I don't know how many more, like, I've been close or like, Maybe not that close. Maybe I'm tooting my own horn or like pumping my own tires. I feel like I know where some things are going and where the arc is going to eventually take him. There's going to be a culmination of things, right? Arondir, I am It'll be interesting fucking, to know. I am in the Sundering Seas adrift and I need an Elondil to come and like rescue me because your girl is drowning with where this plot line is going. I think it'll be interesting if Arondir, Arondir knows uh, Galadriel. I Okay, so this is where I want to know in terms of your prediction. Like, I'll make one. It'll be wrong, but I'll make it. When, okay, first, do you think that the attack on the tower that is going to be made by Adar, because obviously that's where they're headed with the hilt and everything, will Galadriel be there before that attack? Or will this be absent Galadriel and forces from Numenor? I think think it's going to take well take it's going to take them 10 days to uh, before they even leave before they even leave and it, you don't know exactly what the time frame is between the two but i do think that adar and company will get there ahead okay. uh will they find the hilt well waldreg's going to help them find the hilt mm-hmm. because he's going to be on team adar uh theo will probably stupidly hand it over because he's naive and that maybe there is some blackness to him and maybe uh he's just uh just young and doesn't know although bronwyn's going to help him but, but i think there will be the heroic um appearance of the numenorians led by galadriel and i think we'll see some shine from elendil in there because elendil's very important so uh, i think that will be where he shines and uh it'll move the plot forward quite a bit. I I think that battle will certainly happen at the end of episode nine or into early 10 so that there's a, you know, a wrap up afterwards, but it's, that's, that to me will be the climax of this, of the, the first season, I think. Yeah. The clash. And I think that the meeting of Arondir, even if, you know, he escaped or was released in episode four, I still think him and Galadriel, it will take a while for them to meet. And I still think they're not going to meet until episode nine. And that's what I'm well, sticking that would, with. Well, that would <laughs> that would still fit, right? So it. if they don't show up until after the attack, because if uh, Adar and company show up next episode, it's going to take them a whole episode to win it because there are enough men to fight back. Yeah. But then we'll see men fighting against men. Yeah. And then the evil men kind of helping the uh, Adar and company. I'm still interested in how Adar fits into this overall thing and why he's so powerful on the orcs and why is he choosing to go that path? He's obviously quite worldly and has his own perspective on the elven history and all that sort of stuff. So I'm, I'm interested in see what story they bring up through Adar. Yeah, 
no, it's a lot of fun. I'm I'm enjoying the ride immensely, uh, especially not knowing anything about the world. <laughs> Just enjoying each character as it's presented to me. Uh, they've done a fantastic job with the casting. Uh, Rose, to me, like we talked about, was for sure Deesa's song, Thorn. Um, I guess I could also, by the way, say that just that little exchange between Durin, <sighs> the Prince Durin and Elrond on uh, on their first meeting and just yeah. the contract, it was very fun. Yeah. It was a battle cry. Thorn <laughs> <laughs> uh, to me, like honestly, it was the, the Theo, the mm. Theo bit um, heading into town. I just, there's something about his voice and like the way he like <laughs> walks i just he drives me insane i wanna just give that boy a little smack upside the head well with that uh we will rendezvous sometime next week hopefully i will be further <laughs> west than you next week yes. and i will have to do it uh from sailing into to valinor a, a, for real a place in the, in the mountains maybe in the mountains of gondor uh and then the week after we should be able to do it in person again yeah, yeah. we'll see we'll see um and i mean if you're not able to record next week who knows maybe i'll bring on a old, a special old guest? peregrine <laughs> <laughs> the, the nerdy older brother we'll see how that all all plays out but basically nutshell i'm excited for thursday i'm excited to have some more time with nori i missed her this episode missed we'll, a see, bit we'll of learn a lot more about the stranger for sure i we think he's gonna, we're going to see some of his yeah. power his presence his yeah. importance this next episode marks the halfway point in the season so something big should happen at the end of us to keep us going for sure not that it has i think that i think the pickup of the plot's going to go very rapidly now there's going to be a lot of developments it's going to yeah. be a lot of fun lots of stuff happening mm-hmm. all right uh well Feather and Mountain Podcast uh, is found on all major podcasting platforms. You can find us on Twitter, Feather and Mountain Pod. Uh, you can find us on Instagram. I keep forgetting that I have that, or we have that, but uh, Feather Mountain Pod on Insta. Or if you want to email us, Feather Mountain Podcast at gmail.com. Um, most notably if you want to get in touch with us discord is the best place to leave messages uh to get updates about episodes um and yeah just to like live chat uh and we are in a little corner in the wheel reads discord server link in the description um any hate mail that you want to send uh, Team Farazon or otherwise, <laughs> you can send to what the fuck wall drag at uh, theosshaft.com. <laughs> the shaft that grows with blood. We'll leave that one just, just like right there. We're not going there. No. No. All right. That's all for us. Have a great one, friends. Bye. I've been told we have to do a different one than the bye. But anyway, toodles. Bye. (laughs) That's for you, mom. (laughs) Suck it.